Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. As always, glad to have you with us today. Before Natalie Mendenhall um, and, and Chase McGee uh, call me out for this, let me say right away, today is a Political Rewind newsletter day. Uh, if you subscribe, it'll come to your inbox later this afternoon. Uh, you can do it by going to gpb.org slash newsletters. Um, I always try to have a personal essay at the top of the newsletter and I'd really appreciate it if you take a look at the one that I've written for today. I was fortunate enough to cover 10 uh, uh, presidential uh, uh, conventions, uh, nominating conventions in my career as a political reporter. But it was the one I went to in 1960 when I was 13 years old that developed my undying passion for being a political journalist. I tell that story in the newsletter today. All right, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to start with the developments in the top races on the ballot for governor and U.S. Senate, and uh, then take up a couple of down-ballot races as well. Greg Boostein is with us, as he always is on Wednesdays. You know him as a political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, also now an analyst for all the NBC media platforms as well, and... Uh, Greg, as if you're not busy enough, you're also one of the participants in the Politically Georgia podcast that the AJC puts out. Um, how often are you doing that podcast? We do it at least twice a week. We tape Tuesday afternoons and Thursday afternoons, so that often means we're on the campaign trail. So yesterday, I taped from Noonan, the beautiful city of Noonan, from my car. <laughs> so we do that uh, quite a lot. Well, we're very glad you still have time to be on Political uh, Rewind. Charles Bullock uh, is with us today, of course, political science professor at the University of Georgia and certainly the longest tenured political science professor, I think probably in the Southeast, uh, Chuck Bullock. You have more experience in uh, teaching politics and also watching politics unfold in Georgia than I think anyone else, and all of the people we have on the show combined. So I'm glad you're with us, Chuck. Well, I learn stuff every day, too, so it's a, it's a never-ending quest. <laughs> well, let, we'll talk about some of what you're, uh, you've been learning in a couple of minutes. Rick Dent is back with us as well. Rick's the vice president of um, Matrix Communications, which is a government relations uh, firm. But Rick has become, you've really become indispensable this show because no one monitors uh, spending on advertising and and the new content of ads in quite the way you do. So thank you for being back with us again today, Rick. Oh, absolutely. And Adrian Jones, professor of political science and director of pre-law at Morehouse College, uh, joins us today. How are things going as the school year has gotten started, Adrian? Excellent. I would say excellent. Um, I've had a... What? Almost two weeks. Uh, it's been very enjoyable. I feel like my students are really engaged this semester. What are you teaching? <clears throat> I am teaching national government, which is essentially American government with a special Morehouse name, and race and the law. 
Okay. Um, thank you for joining us uh, today. Greg Bluestein. let's get right to talking about ad spending in the uh, political races. Again, the top uh, of the ballot races, Warnock and Walker and Abrams and Kemp. Uh, Rick Dent set out to all of us his latest figures, uh, uh, Greg. And uh, it's interesting to see how they break down. In the Senate races, uh, there's been something like $217 million spent. Uh, but Democrats have spent so far far more money than Republicans. They've spent $121 million to the Republicans, uh, $95 million. And the Warnock campaign has spent $60 million compared to Walker's $15 million. And a fairly similar pattern repeats in the governor's race as well, Greg. What do you, first of all, what do you make of the disparity in spending? Well, it reflects the new dynamic here that Democrats are vastly outraising Republicans, even Republican incumbents. Stacey Abrams is, is outraising Governor Kemp two to one, maybe even more two to one. We, we won't know until the next, um, yeah. next financial reports are out, but huge financial advantages. And yet, you know, in the governor's race, Governor Kemp is ahead in most polls by you know, three, four, five points. And the Senate race, it's a neck and neck race. So that, that tells you the tough political climate the Democrats are trying to traverse right now with even with this enormous fund, fundraising advantage, even with Herschel Walker being pretty much off the air in the last week or two. Um, you know, he has some allies coming in on the airways for him this week, but he's been off the air um, for, for a week or two. Um, and yet still he is neck and neck with, with Senator Warnock in all the latest polls, including a couple that came out yesterday. Rick, um, you point out to us that we shouldn't make too much of the fact that um, he has not, Walker has not uh, really been on the air. Why doesn't it make a difference? Well, and it's also true of Governor Kemp. Governor Kemp has not been on uh, since mid-June. It doesn't make a difference anymore because campaigns have now become a team sport. It's not Walker spending versus Warnock. It's Republican spending versus Democratic spending. So even when you have let's say, Governor Kemp or Walker, not on the air as their campaign, you've got uh, allies and PACs really hitting the other side with multi-million dollar spending. So as long as your side is on the air, voters really can't tell. Did the Kemp campaign just put that on? Did the Walker camp? Well, who put that on? All they really care about is the messaging. Chuck, that's really an important point. It's not as if the messaging isn't there. It's just not coming directly from the Republican campaigns themselves, right? Right. And I think Rick's pointing out, making a good point here. In fact, I'm the one in 10,000 people who wait to the end of the ad to see who's who's putting this ad out there. One in (laughs) 10,000. And even once you see who it is, you know, the name usually tells you nothing. It's nothing you can look at and say, oh, I know where that is. You, you can tell who's, who it's sponsoring, but, you know, it doesn't tell you anything about who is behind it, where that money's coming from. So, yeah, a lot of this is just completely flying under the radar. I mean, Rick probably knows who is putting behind, behind these things, but, you know, certainly the rest of us have just no idea as we look at it. Adrian, um, as a political scientist, uh, how do you look at the importance of political ads, in, especially TV ads, as opposed to social media advertising and, and the rest? H- how important is it to driving voters to the polls these days from your point of view? 
I think it's very important. Um, and I, at this point, feel like the social media and the television ads really run together for people because they are so heavily on the social media. Um, but Democrats, you know, this year are, were newly purple. I think they understand the importance of getting the Democratic message out there. Um, you know, the state is under Republican control. We've just recently been redistricted. So I think it's really important to Democrats to make sure that they're driving you know, a critical mass of voters out and therefore spending that money. Chuck? Yeah, uh, Adrian and I certainly know this firsthand, and that is here we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on television. None of our students see any of this. And I think that's also true of a lot of young adults. So, yeah, if you get your message out to maybe the under 30s, under 35s, you've got to be on social media because they do not see television. Uh, Greg Wustein, I, I want to, on a side note here, uh, point out to our listeners something that you all published in the Jolt today that relates to this subject. You're asking people uh, out there, readers, listeners perhaps to our show, to uh, write to you to let you know how they intend to, quote, avoid the barrage of advertising, political advertising uh, coming up. That speaks to how people feel, I think, about political ads. You're going to get enormous response, I suspect. Yeah, we we saw some of this. uh, We we heard a lot of interesting stories back during the the, the runoff. A billion dollars, almost a billion dollars was spent in total. Um, on, on all the four Senate campaigns. Um, but, you know, p- folks who were trying to watch Frosty the Snowman around Christmas time <laughs> were seeing campaign ads. Kids <laughs> were seeing it. It was a mess. Uh, we, won't have a, we will not have a Christmas time race anymore because of the shorter runoff periods. But certainly voters are about to get even more pummeled with campaign ads. And, and you know, it's interesting to me is we're seeing different, more innovative ways of reaching voters, you know, not just through digital media and you know the t- traditional TV ads, but Stacey Abrams is spending money um, to advertise uh, at the gas pumps. You know, those gas station screens you see. I was down in when I was down in Noonan the other uh, yesterday. I saw one of her ads, you know, at a, at a gas station. Um, and so, you know, she's trying to reach folks uh, in ways that they. It, it's hard to avoid those types of ads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's start playing some samples of the current ads that are on the air. And Rick Dent, uh, just before we went on the air today, you sent out to all of us what may be the toughest anti-Herschel Walker ad to appear yet. It does not, of course, come from the Warnock campaign. It comes from a PAC supporting Raphael uh, Warnock, and it amplifies a message that we've heard before, but does it in the toughest terms Ever. We're going to listen to it right now, and it's about domestic violence and his conduct toward his ex-wife. And just because you're not seeing the ad, let me point out that there is actually a dramatic recreation of what the uh, 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 Herschel Walker's wife and the narrator talk about in this ad. Let's listen. Herschel Walker has repeatedly threatened to kill his ex-wife. He held a razor to her throat and threatened to kill her. He's accused of choking her until she passed out. He threatened a shootout with police outside her home. And uh, I put a gun to her head. It's the first time he held the gun to my head. He held the gun to my temple and said he was going to blow my brains out. Look up the public records yourself. Georgia Honor is responsible for the content of this act. All right, I want to hear everybody comment on this, starting with you, Rick. 
Well, I was wrinkling my no- uh, nose as I heard it because it's it's so cringeworthy because it is so hard. And I'm imagining, because I, I only saw this on the computer this morning. It just started running this morning. You know, when that comes into your living room, I, I just wonder what the impact is going to be, especially on, on women voters. And the reenactment you're talking about is a gun to the head. Yeah. That's, uh, wel- welcome to 2022. Uh, let me before Adrian, I want to get you in here. But Rick, when you say you wonder about the impact on women voters, um, you, you make the point that it's so hard hitting. Do you think it's possible that it could have create there could be a backlash to it? No, no, I, no, I don't. No. I, I, I think okay. I think it's just going to have that kind of impact on on female voters, especially you know the ones that everyone is. Uh, every campaign he's trying to fight for, which are those sub- suburban, educated women, ooh, that, that, you, you just have to expect that ad to really cut through to them. Yeah. Adrian? I don't know. Um, you know, with domestic violence, I feel like it's to some degree accepted, um, as is sexual assault by men generally. So I think it cannot be clear. Uh, how it will impact people. Um, There's a degree to which I think it conveys a level of power, which um, has something to do with why we have so much trouble settling that issue as a whole, right? And not having situations where um, you can run an ad like this. This is not new information about Herschel Walker. Um, We have already talked about how his campaigning and his understanding of issues is problematic. It's a possibility that this really doesn't impact people, um, even though it is incredibly cringeworthy. A- Adrian, I-, I really want to follow up on-, on that with you just briefly. A knife to my throat, a gun to my head. Um, you know, at domestic violence, if it's just a-, a man hitting a woman, slapping a woman is bad enough. But this is extraordinarily violent imagery, Adrian. I completely understand. Um, I just have to remain on the fence about whether or not um, it moves people significantly. It's absolutely shocking, but again, it's not new information. And people, I mean, Walker is running incredibly close to the incumbent, who I would imagine most people think has done a pretty decent job, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Uh, Greg, this clip of Walker's ex-wife appeared in a different ad, a Republican Party, National Republican Party ad, I think. Um, And the Walker campaign responded to it and said, this is so wrong to take it out of context. She made these comments in a joint interview on ABC News with Herschel Walker, in which they talked together about the impact that mental illness can have on a relationship, and this was an example, an extreme example of what it can be. But can they really blunt the uh, impact of this ad with that response? Well, the argument is also that, that, that Herschel Walker's critics are trying to stigmatize people with mental health problems um, because this is, this is part of his response is that he has suffered from disassociative identity disorder and that he has now sought treatment that has helped him. Um, uh, you know, uh, with that disorder. Um, but look, what Professor Jones said was exactly right. This is not new information. But to many Georgians who have not tuned in, it could be news. 
Uh, and this is exactly what Republican Gary Black, who is Herschel Walker's top primary opponent, warned about. He didn't have the money, um, nearly, nearly the amount of money that you know, the Democrats do, to put this message out, to put this on the airwaves. Um, he actually created a minute and a half digital ad with all the attacks that you know, Democrats could level against Herschel Walker in, in November, right now, you know, in the run-up to November, warning, hey, this is what you'll see if Herschel Walker's the nominee. And now we're starting to see them. Um, and you know, there's significant money behind these ads. Um, uh, this campaign is going to be a seven-figure campaign from the pro-Warnock uh, Senate, uh, Senate PAC, um, and there'll be more to come. I asked Senator Warnock yesterday if he thought these types of attacks were fair game because I expected something like this to pop um, imminently, and he kind of dodged the question just saying, hey, it's up to Georgia to decide that. But this is, uh, this is part of an escalation in ad attacks, and I expect more because there's so much more reporting you know, that has been going on for, for the better part of the last year into um, these, these, these threats, these allegations of, of, of violence against women. Chuck Bullock? Yeah, this, yeah, for those of us who follow it, uh, we've known about these kinds of things, but for an awful lot of voters, they don't begin to tune in till Labor Day or even later. And so for those folks, this is new information. And I think any woman who has been in an abusive relationship sees this and it brings back some pretty bad images for her. And so it may be, you know, she says, yeah, I, I had similar kinds of things happen to me. Or she may look at it and say, you know, I thought I was in a bad position, but at least now my ex never threatened to kill me. But either way, uh, this is bound, I think, to move people. Uh, and the Walker campaigns going to have an awful hard time kind of getting beyond this, especially if some of these new elements we're not part of that interview or whatever that took place on ABC. I, I was going to add one thing um, about this ad, and it was kind of alluded to. Why are they running that ad? It's because they need to run that ad, yeah. which tells yeah. you the state of that race. They've got a problem, and it's Herschel Walker. He's too close. He could win. And they have got to do something about him as a candidate. Adrian, that was exactly the first thing that came into my mind, and I'll bet all of our minds when we saw how tough that ad was, that the Warnock campaign is running a little frightened right now. I completely agree with that. And it, you know, it provides a contrast to the last race where they were trying to characterize Warnock as essentially a beast. And um, this, to me, is an effort to make Herschel Walker look, you know, <laughs> beyond the pale in terms of someone who we might elect to the U.S. Senate. Uh, so I agree uh, with this analysis that, um, you know, it's a clutch move. They really need to characterize Herschel Walker in the negative. Um, so, uh, 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 Greg, let's talk about a couple of other ads. Um I'm, I want to talk about the fact that the, the Abrams campaign and the Warnock campaigns, I think I'm right, themselves, I don't think these are pack ads, although you, Rick, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, have a couple of really positive spots on the air right now. Um, it, to put into the mix with the negative stuff that's being uh, uh, put out by PACs largely. So there's an ad for Stacey Abrams where we see, we hear DeBose Porter who was, of course, a leader, a Democratic leader of the state party. 
He was a member of the state legislature for years, served with uh, Stacey Abrams. And let's listen to the audio as DeBose Porter and then Stacey Abrams herself talk about an effort she made when there was a tax package in front of the legislature while she was serving. We had this tax bill, and you know Stacy's a tax attorney. I was sitting in the committee, and I didn't believe the testimony I was hearing. I thought they were doing the numbers wrong, so I asked for a copy of the fiscal model. She did the math on it. 82% of Georgians would have seen their taxes go up. I stopped that from happening because I believe that you don't raise taxes on working families. She single-handedly stopped the largest tax increase in Georgia history because it was the right thing to do. Greg? Yeah, this speaks to a couple of issues that Stacey Abrams' campaign is, is facing. One is that uh, Governor Kemp pummels her, barrages her nonstop, saying that she's going to raise taxes, right? That, that her plans to spend more of Georgia's surplus and uh, uh, legalize gambling to, to fund and finance a, a needs-based um, scholarship is going to end up requiring her to raise taxes. She says it will not. This goes to the heart of that. The second is a gender gap. Um, there is a, there's a very wide gender gap in all the polls. It's not unexpected um, among, among men and women. Um, and more women are supporting Stacey Abrams, more men are su- supporting um, Governor Kemp. If she's going to win, if she's going to narrow, she needs to narrow that gender gap, and especially among white, white men. And DuBose Porter is sort of that southern, <laughs> sort of central South Georgian, um, you know, old school white Democratic leader who's also one of her most important allies and the former head of the state Democratic Party who can help her with that messaging. Chuck? Yeah, it also builds on something which, um, before she became a candidate for governor, you know, you were over at the Capitol and she was a member and both Democrats and Republicans would acknowledge she's the smartest person over here. I mean, she had that reputation, uh, not just in tax law, but the reputation of the person who would read all the legislation and that members of both parties would come to her and say, tell me what this means, you know, give me some guidance on this. Um, not necessarily true, though, that in Georgia it helps you to be recognized as being real smart, so that may not be a big asset in this campaign. <laughs> Rick Dent, uh, a positive ad like that uh, has value uh, in the midst of the flurry of attack ads, Yes. It does, and, and sometimes it actually stands out because you're seeing all the mud from all the sides, and all of a sudden there's this uh, bit of fresh air that's positive. Also keep in mind, and I think Greg alluded to this, in, in many ways this is a response ad. And at the same time, she's running a second positive ad, which is outlining her economic plan and how to spend the surplus. So it's a response ad because the Kemp side has been saying, she wants to waste it. She wants to spend it. And this is her opportunity to say, you know what? I am as much of a conservative on tax issues. I've saved money. I just want to invest in people, and you don't. Well, well, Adrian, uh, in fact, before we – before I want to give you a chance, but as long as Rick brought it up, why don't we listen to a newer spot that the Kemp folks have on the air, which speaks to just what he's talking about. It starts – uh, by being about how Kemp t- treated COVID, but it moves on to the to the uh, issues that Rick brings to, to light here. Let's listen and then Adrian weigh in. During COVID, Brian Kemp got it right, reopening Georgia first. Stacey Abrams wanted more lockdowns. We're not ready to reopen. Abrams was wrong. Brian Kemp keeps getting it right. 
cutting income and gas taxes. And George is doing better than the rest of the country with a record surplus. Abrams wants to spend the surplus. Brian Kemp is giving it back to taxpayers. Now Kemp's cutting property taxes, too, helping families deal with Biden's inflation. Brian Kemp gets it right. Adrian, quick fact check. One of, one of the reasons, and we've talked about this on the show, that we have this record surplus under Brian Kemp is because of the federal relief money that is poured into the state, which Republicans have criticized for a long time now. Adrian? Which, of course, now the governor wants to spend um, to send to individuals as opposed to Stacey's proposals, which sound like they're going to benefit uh, a greater number of people. Um, I also think these ads are important for Stacey Abrams because she is not the incumbent governor, and it's important that voters have a sense of what they, how they think that she's going to behave um, once she does become the governor, if she does. Um, and I, I guess me personally, I was more persuaded by the tax ad than the Kemp ad because, you know, you have to be in agreement with the idea that opening during COVID was the right thing to do. Um, and I know Kemp wants to make it sound like it was, but I think that some people in the state would beg to differ. Greg? Yeah, I mean, look, you're getting to a fundamental disagreement between the candidates on how they spend the budget surplus on how they're spending, um, how, how they just view fiscal policy in general, right? Um, Stacey Abrams says she wants generational changes. She says we have this, this moment with more than $5 billion in the surplus um, to, to fund all sorts of programs, pay raises for public employees and others. And Governor Kemp says, hey, this is, this is one-time money. Um, we can't do a long-term program without raising taxes. And we should use this money to give it back to, to, to Georgia taxpayers. So you, you have, I think you have a, in a race full of lots of contrasts, very sharp contrasts, to me, this might be one of the biggest ones. Um, and, you know, one of the things that Governor Kemp always reminds folks, too, is that federal money can't be used. Um, for, for the state budget revenue. So this federal pot of money that, he, that he's doling out um, can't, can't be used for state processes. Now, it can't help backfill in other ways, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, what this really crystallizes, that very last part of that camp ad, is a major difference between Democrats and Republicans, both here and a lot of other places. Both Democrats and Republicans want to grow the economy. They want to attract investment, things like this. But going back for decades, Democrats' notion has been the way you do this is you invest in education, you invest in transportation, infrastructure, and that's what makes Georgia attractive. Uh, Republicans take a very different perspective. They say, no, no, what makes the state attractive is to have the lowest possible taxes, and that's what will draw in investment. So, and this is very, very basic kind of difference between Democrats and Republicans we're seeing laid out here. So, Rick, I've got to get to a break, but what I'm hearing from, from Chuck and Greg is that well, this is an attack ad, but it's an attack ad that actually lays out an important choice that Georgia voters are going to get to make uh, in that governor's race. Uh, yes, and, and I'm thrilled to see it because I really believe in campaigns that make a clear choice. What I've always hated is here's a Republican candidate versus a Republican-like candidate. It's like, no, 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 give the voters a clear choice. They're smart enough. And in a state like Georgia now that's 50-50, give them a clear choice and uh, run with it. All right, let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show. We've got a lot more to talk about with this panel in just a moment. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. 
It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Professor Adrian Jones, Professor Charles Bullock, Rick Dent, and Greg Bluestein on today's show. Greg, um, let's talk just a little bit more about the advertising, especially as it relates to what issues uh, the candidates are dealing with out there. In fairness, for balance, we played a very, very tough ad attacking Herschel Walker. Let's listen now to an ad that uh, attacks uh, 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 Warnock. But does, in the framework of an issue that we all agree in looking at the polling, is crucial uh, in this year's election, and that's inflation. Let's listen to the sound and then talk about it. Gas prices, meat, milk, cereal. Everything going up. Cost of living, period. I'm on a budget. Inflation has gotten out of control. I don't go and see my grandbabies like I used to. Senator Warnock is not focused on inflation. I don't think Raphael Warnock is doing anything. He got in, but prices still going up. Raphael Warnock votes with Biden. He cared more about Washington than he knew George. I just don't know. I just don't see where he's done anything to help the situation. I cannot vote for Raphael Warnock. 34 and 22 is responsible for the content of this advertising. Uh, Greg Bluestein, that comes from a PAC supporting Herschel Walker. And, of course, it it it, it really uh, solidifies the message that Republicans say over and over they have to run on, and that's infl- the inflation that the Biden administration has inflicted on the country. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot more Republican ads focus on inflation. That's gonna That's been a message throughout. That's going to be kind of the closing message, I expect, unless something dramatic j- differently changes. But this is also an example – um, I mentioned earlier, there's so much money out there that, that there's there's not also money to spend on innovative ideas and programs. And this is this is an ad from that group, 34 in 22, um, that features people who they gave gas vouchers and grocery vouchers to. <laughs> um, you know, we're talking fifty dollar, ten, hundred dollar gas vouchers, um, and there's all sorts of legal grounding groundwork in it behind it. Why, how it's legal to do to give people um, vouchers. Um, and, uh, you know, campaign lawyers say, say it's, it's legit, uh, but at the same time, this is something where you're seeing um, this expenditure of money being used, not just for free media attention, but also now t- taking that weaponizing and turning into campaign ads, uh, really focused on inflation and, and, and hearing from regular Georgians about how it's affecting their daily lives. Rick Dent, um, when are we going to see more from Democrats on uh, the issue of the overturning of Roe? From the Abrams campaign or one of her PACs, um, from uh, the Warnock campaign saying they support a federal law that would protect a woman's right to choose? What is the expectation about that? Well, in fairness, Abrams is still running a tough abortion ad against Brian Kemp right now, even though she's doing it's the still positive, on the air. It's it's still on the air. Uh, you've heard me say it every time I've been on this show. I I, I am so afraid that Democrats are going to uh, take too much of a soft approach on this. I think it's a winner for them. I think it can drive turnout. Uh, I think it's important as well, and. Uh, 
I don't think they can be too hard on this issue. And I, again, I, Democrats just aren't as mean and nasty as Republicans sometimes. And I just pray they'll do it on this issue. I'm a, con- I'm a little confused about um, what Rick is saying he would pray they would do on the issue. Um, but just be tough. Be, attack, attack, attack on this issue. I see. Um, I would agree with that because I feel like members of the GOP here and in other states um, are treading lightly with the abortion win because, you know, it's clear that everyone doesn't agree in what is essentially a total ban. I know there are exceptions in some places um, on this medical procedure that's important for families and communities. Um, To the inflation ad, when I watched it, I felt like it was a little bought, but I think the good part about it for um, the GOP is that it's a it's a diverse ad, right? I think that everybody who watches that ad can see someone who looks like themselves there. Um, mm-hmm. And if you are not plugged in um, and see the separation between Biden and Warnock, for example, um, you could easily be persuaded that, you know, Warnock has contributed to the inflation problem. And, you know, that's going to be persuasive for GOP uh, voters. Chuck? I think it's essential to the success the Democrats had in November of 2020 and January 2021 that they get a sizable share of the white college-educated women. And I think that group is one that can be moved by what Rick's talking about, some really hard-hitting abortion ads. So maybe you have something on which goes directly to that situation up in Ohio where you say about a 10-year-old girl who gets raped by, you know, and can't get an abortion. Do you really want 10-year-old kids bringing children into this world? So I I can see how really hard-hitting ads can be done here. And the advantage is that they can peel off potentially a critical share of the electorate. These are women who have been voting Republican, probably still think of themselves as Republicans. And so you've got to give them some hard reason as to why they want to put their Republicanism behind them and maybe also uh, break with their their husband or their boyfriend when it comes to have their voting choices here. All right. Uh, Greg Bluestein, let's move on. Let's continue talking about these these top races, especially right now the governor's race. Um, You filed a a piece uh, from Camilla. And, and you point out in your story that the Abrams campaign and Stacey Abrams herself are spending um, a, a lot of time going to rural parts of the state that vote red primarily, uh, looking to get a message out that they believe just, I, you tell me, how many votes do they need to turn in a place like Camilla uh, to win the race? Yeah, I mean, they, they've got to pick up a lot of, they've got to cut, Republican margins in a lot of places like Camilla in order to win the race, right? Um, these are counties, Camilla's, uh, Mitchell County is not completely lopsided. It's kind of a 55-45 county. But um, Senator Warnock was in um, Noonan yesterday, Kawita County, um, where it's about two-thirds Republican, right? And so these these are, it, it's almost the equivalent of Brian Kemp going to, like, Decatur in Georgia or something like that. Very, very blue areas. And you're not seeing Governor Kemp do that, right? You're not seeing, I mean, unless it's for an official event, you're not seeing his campaign go to these deep blue areas unless it's Athens where he lives. Um, 
So you're seeing Democrats make a make a make a you know, significant effort for going to these, um, especially rural Republican leaning areas to carve out, peel off just enough votes. Right? They feel like if they can cobble together some of these, you know, instead of losing by 30 points or 20 points in some of these places, if they can lose by 15 points, <laughs> they they can cut the margins enough. Um, to maybe offset some some losses that they anticipate in the suburbs, some uh, a drain of some votes, and just also to help the down ticket candidates in those places too, um, it can have a significant it can lead to a significant effect in November. You know, Chuck, the first thing I thought about when I read Bluestein's article is uh, I went back to 2018 when Stacey Abrams uh, said. We have got to get over this yellow dog Democrat, conservative Democrat coalition that we can somehow build between rural and ex-suburban, whatever, urban Democrats and start going after progressive voters. And it was a strategy that brought her quite close to the governor's mansion. And now she's turning a corner and saying, well, maybe out there in rural Georgia, there are voters who uh, can join my progressive coalition and uh, give me just enough votes to get over the top. Well, yeah, I guess I would think that what she's trying to do is a couple of things. One is probably trying to mobilize uh, people who would be in her coalition anyway. Uh, one of the things we know is that Republicans don't, excuse me, Democrats don't do as good a job of coming back to the polls in the midterm year. And therefore, you know, she's trying to activate those rural Democrats are there. And then can she pick up some? Well, yeah, what we know is that certainly younger voters, those under 35 or so in Georgia, tend to be Democrats. So she may be trying to preach to that choir also. So there are some votes out there she can find. Uh, I'm sure she, though, still believes that she did going all the way back to 2014. And that is you can't simply win by using that old, old playbook, but you can make some additions to what you had in 2018 and 2020. And those might be critical. Rick, if you Rick, if you think I've got that wrong, tell me. But it does seem to me it's an interesting contrast with the 2018 strategy. Well, it, it is. But remember, one, every vote counts equally. It does make a difference losing 60 to 40 versus 55-45. It all counts yeah. on your behalf. Number two, voters like to see candidates in their area. And they like to be asked for their vote. Uh, let me tell you a quick story. I worked with Governor Ray Mabus in Mississippi back in the day. And when he ran for governor, he noticed that his neighbor, who had lived next to his parents his entire life, put out a sign for his opponent. So he knocked on her door and said, I've just got to ask you, why are you supporting my opponent? And she said, you never asked me for my vote. It's important. All Adrian. I can do is reiterate that, um, you know, I've heard from voters all over, especially minority voters, that they feel like, you know, the parties just show up during election time. Um, and it seems to me that Abrams has done something about that since 2018, right, at least increased engagement with uh, voters across the state generally and with rural voters specifically, black rural voters in southwest Georgia, for example. Um, and this is critical. You know, if you continue to neglect people and not speak to them directly about supporting you, it just won't happen. 
Um, so, Greg Bluestein, I want to move on, but but what what um, Rick has said and and what Adrian is saying is just what you heard from people in as you went down there. Um, wow, a Democratic candidate, Stacey Abrams, actually came here, and maybe there were only a dozen people, but she was there talking to them, and they were impressed. Yeah, uh, folks showed up an hour early. Folks brought their their kids, their grandkids. Uh, they prepared questions. Um, you know, they were excited. And also, you know, frankly, some of her opponents showed up, too, just driving by with Trump banners and honking their horns and things like that. Um, it is a very different. I, I, this is one reason I love, love going to these sorts of events, because there will be an event, you know, in Atlanta later today that will be a lot showier and glitzier and, you know, um, more formalized, I guess is a good word for it. You go down to some of these small towns where they haven't seen a statewide candidate in years. Um, and it's a lot more grassroots. You get, you get a, just a better feeling for the give and take, and, and folks can ask questions, and that's real fun because I have my own reporter-like questions to ask, and I ask questions, serious questions. But I really <laughs> love hearing the re- voters talk about what's concerning them a lot more than I like hearing myself ask a question. Yeah. Uh, Greg, I got to go to a break, and we're not going to get a chance to talk about it in depth today because uh, I want to talk about these down-ballot races. But before we do that, are we going to see a Herschel walker Raphael Warnock debate? Walker's team keeps finding reasons not to do the debates that the uh, Warnock campaign has already agreed to, and it's getting late uh, for them to plan this, and does it matter? Yeah, I don't think we're going to see a debate. That's just been my gut all along, and you're exactly right. We've seen all the efforts from Herschel Walker's campaign to avoid debates, even though he said over and over again, I'll debate him anytime, anywhere. We know that's not the case because Senator Warnock has agreed to three debates early on, and then out of the blue, Herschel Walker agreed to a fourth debate that's none of those three debates. And so, you know, I, I kind of find the debate over debates to be a little bit tedious, but it's great to cover once the debates actually happen. Will it matter with voters? I'll let the experts say that. I'd love the chance to hear the can- candidates and talk you know, to, directly to each other and also um, to explore in greater detail their policy positions and their stances on the biggest issues of the day. But will it affect a, a, a race? You know, we're, we're, we're talking about such small margins it actually might, but really what it affects is their social media messaging, their fundraising, and all the other things that goes along with the campaign. Um, all right, let's do this. Um, we can talk about this on, an, on another uh, show because we'll continue to follow whether the Walker campaign chooses to debate. But let's get our final break of the show out of the way. And I really want to hear this panel uh, help us understand a little better two important down-ballot races uh, today, uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, and Attorney General. We'll be back with more on Political Rewind. It's really our intention in the weeks ahead to cover um, more than once, I hope, the down-ballot races that are uh, uh, so important uh, in the 2022 election year. And I'd like to start today by talking about the attorney general's race and the lieutenant governor's race. Um, Let me, Chuck Bullock, uh, let's talk about the AG race first, uh, because we have Democrat Jen Jordan, uh, state senator, longtime state senator, who made her name with her impassioned speech uh, fighting against the restrictive abortion law that the uh, state legislature uh, passed, uh, running against incumbent Chris Carr, who has uh, has uh, said over and over again that he is pleased with the fact that Roe was overturned 
There are clearly other issues in that race beyond abortion, but that's certainly one of them that matters. And uh, the situation is probably that most Georgians aren't aware of this, uh, where either one of those are. And so my assumption is that this is a state right now which is about, you know, in terms of its voting, 50% Republican, 48% Democratic. So in the absence of some heavy spending on the part of the Democrats to get their names out there and to introduce themselves to voters, voters are going to simply go with their partisanship. Now, what Democrats, of course, are hoping, Raphael Warnock is certainly hoping, is that if indeed this is a 50-48 state, then enough Republicans will make an exception and vote for him. But in the absence of a lot of information concerning what who Jennifer, Jen Jordan is, what she stands for, those voters are going to go back to that Republican side and just follow that on the way, probably down the ballot. Um, Rick, one of the fights between the two of them has been that Jen Jordan, after Roe, said if she's elected attorney general, she would not devote the state's re- legal resources to uh, uh, prosecuting uh, anyone who violates this uh, restrictive abortion law in the state. And Chris Carr has come back and said, if, you, if you're not willing to do that, you are not acting, uh, uh, fulfilling the, resp- the responsibilities of the office, Rick. Yeah, the, the, the problem that she has, and, and most down-ballot races have, she's only going to have a limited amount of money to message. So you got to be concise, you got to introduce yourself, and you got to pick that one or two, and I think it's abortion, by the way, on what to hit him on. My argument against Chris Carr, and oh Lord, Joan Kirchner is going to call me after I say this, uh, <laughs> is, is where is That's the Chris Attorney Carr's General? wife. Where, where is the Attorney General? We've got, we had fake electors. We had an attempt to overthrow the election in Georgia. We've got Coffee County. We've got rising crime rates. We've got gun violence. We've got negligent landlords. Where is the Attorney General? I'll tell you where he is. He ran to the court to try to get the abortion law enforced in Georgia. That was his priority, and that should be the argument against him. Greg Lucine, we should say that Rick Dent does at times represent Republicans as well as Democrats, so he's not necessarily speaking as a pure Democratic partisan, but Greg, weigh in. <laughs> yeah, that's why Rick is fun at this, because he can hit both sides with equal vigor. Um, right. Look, this is, this is, uh, I mean, this is Jen Jordan's strategy right now, because there's, there's, limited, there's limited attention to focus on these down-ticket races, right? There's so much going on in the governor's race, the Senate race. Um, and so she might have one, maybe two issues, two sort of openings um, to capture uh, the people in my neighborhood, like the folks who aren't living and breathing every little political twist and turn. And for her, it's, it's abortion. For her, it's, you know, that, that was what propelled her to the national stage um, four year, uh, three or four years ago, whenever she gave that big speech on the Senate, state Senate floor against the, uh, the 2019 anti-abortion, uh, what Republicans call the heartbeat bill. Um, Chris Carr has his own questions to answer, but Chris Carr is also ahead in the limited number of polling we've seen. So he feels like so goes Governor Kemp, uh, as might go him. Um, Adrian, let's, let me read directly from Chris Carr's website. As Attorney General, Chris has built a strong conservative record of prosecuting criminals, keeping the economy open, defending Georgia's election integrity laws, supporting law enforcement, protecting Georgians' liberties, going after fraud and corruption, and fighting back against the liberal 
Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden agenda. Adrian? Um, to Rick's earlier point, <laughs> this needs to be cultivated as a clear choice, right? I'm saying the difference between having Chris Carr as attorney general, who supported FD202, and who is pleased with Roe and will um, enforce that law <laughs> to the best of his ability, that is going to be a completely different Georgia from one with Jen Jordan, who I presume um, will decide differently on these other issues, and of course, abortion. Um, one of the things I'm doing with my classes right now is making sure that we really understand, you know, who is the AG? Who are these down ticket offices and who is running for them? And I urge Georgians to please do a little research, learn about who it is that you intend to vote for. Uh, I want to give just a, a, a tiny bit of balance here. Uh, Greg Bluestein, Sam Olins, former state attorney general, and who used to call himself a Republican but no longer does, has publicly said that he thinks Jen Jordan's position of saying she would not enforce Georgia's abortion law is absolutely wrong if you're going to be attorney general. We should at least make that mention that in this conversation. That is loved, that has rubbed a lot of Republicans, and I guess in Sam's case, former Republicans, the wrong way, saying, hey, it's your, your duty. It's, it's your, they say it's your duty to uh, uphold and defend Georgia's laws, whether you agree with them or not. I got, I got about three minutes. Let's turn to the lieutenant governor's race, Greg. Charlie Bailey, the Democrat, uh, running. He, he ran for AG, of course, and was kind of pushed into lieutenant governor's race to clear the way for Jordan in the AG's race. Um, and he's talking about Medicaid expansion. He's talking about fully funding our schools. Um, what's interesting about his opponent, uh, Burt Jones, I was looking at his website today, and it, when you look at it, there's a link that says, read where Bert stands on the issue, something to that effect. And when you go to that, it's an off-site uh, uh, article that he wrote. And uh, it doesn't really talk about the Bert Jones issues. Three quarters of it is an attack on the Democrats and Charlie Bailey and Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden. Uh, so I'm not quite sure in reading what Bert Jones says his issues are, what they are, Greg. <laughs> Yeah, well, Charlie Bailey said that he pretty much agrees with Stacey Abrams um, on, on – he, he said in a debate there's no real difference between where Stacey Abrams stands. Um, Bert Jones is different um, in the sense that he has, he has personally advocated for um, stricter abortion restrictions. Um, he was not among the, uh, the, the, the most powerful Republican state senators. He was kind of in sort of an exile over the last two years. He wasn't one of Jeff Duncan's uh, preferred senators. Um, you know, and he wasn't part of the power structure. But for the most part, he's taken traditional conservative stances on, on, on the biggest issues. Um, so as we we're not going to have a lot of time to talk about this race, but uh, I think, Chuck, the same point applies here as it does to the other down ballot races. And that is because they're not going to get an enormous amount of attention uh, when they're overshadowed by those top races. It's really difficult for these candidates on either side to really get their messages out. If this is all about mobilizing your voter base uh, at, at the polls. It absolutely is. And there also, as we get closer and closer to the election, there's going to be so many ads coming out from those top four candidates for governor and senator that even if you've got the money to get you know, up on air, you know, it, it's going to be hard for people to hear it because there's so much noise out there. 
Chuck Bullock, I give you the last word on today's show because of your seniority status and much more than that. Thank you. Adrian Jones, thank you for being with us. Rick, Rick Dent, you keep us on top of the advertising, and I'm grateful to you for that. And Greg Bluestein, thank you, as always, for being part of it. Today was a terrific show. Uh, thanks to all of you for being part of it. Thank you for listening. Back again tomorrow with another Political Rewind. Until then, I'm Bill Nigat. Take care. Stay healthy, everybody.